0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Mark 15, verse number 29. The Bible says, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour Jesus cried, With a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, and gave up the ghost and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and when the centurion which stood over against it saw that he so cried and gave up the ghost he said truly this man was the son of god and then over to chapter 16 and verse 19 where the bible says so then after the lord had spoken unto them He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. C.S. Lewis watched his wife die of cancer. And from that horrific event, he wrote a very gripping book called A Grief Observed. And in that book, he said this, and I quote, Go to God when your need is desperate, when all other hope is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. Why is he so very absent a help in time of trouble? Have you been there? Have you experienced that? Has there been a time when you had a relative that was sick and you begged God to heal that relative and health was not forthcoming? Has there been a time in your life when you were in a financial pinch and you needed money and you needed it now, it absolutely, positively had to be there overnight? And you begged God and the money didn't come? Perhaps there's a social relationship that's strained in your life. Perhaps there's two people in your family that are at odds, and you have prayed fervently that God would mend the brokenness in those relationships, and yet it seems like every successive family reunion only makes the situation worse. Why doesn't God listen to me? This, ladies and gentlemen, I think is much more than just an intellectual exercise for egg-headed theologians to stand around and discuss. It is one that I think we have all witnessed at some point in our life with very deep personal pain and frustration. We know, according to the Bible, that our God is a kind God. We know, according to the Bible, that our God is an all-powerful God. So if God is all kind and God is all powerful, then we know that the reason he's not doing what he's doing in our life is not because he's not kind enough, nor because he's not powerful enough. God is benevolent enough and God is powerful enough to do something about our situation and yet sometimes in reasons only known to him, he chooses not to do anything at all. We wonder why God is so passive. Job faced this issue. We certainly read the Bible thousands of years later, and we know that there was a fight going on in the heavenlies between the devil and God, but Job knew nothing about that. So three friends come up, miserable comforters, Eliphaz the braggart, He's the one who goes to the hospital and talks about his own surgery while you're laying in the bed. Bildad, the blaster, who preaches that wonderful sermon, man is a maggot. What a great comfort that is in time of trial. And Zophar, the twitterer, who believes that every problem of life can be solved with a clipping from our daily bread and a Helen Steiner rice card. We're sorry to hear that your wife is dead, but this is the path that God has led. And Job looks at all of them and he says, you are miserable coveters. And all three of them agreed that the reason that Job was suffering was because he was a wretched sinner. But yet that was not even God's assessment. God said that he's a perfect man. He's one that fears God and eschews evil. God did not hold to their hypothesis. So young Elihu watches all of that happen and he says, oh no, it's not because Job's a sinner. It's just to educate him. But if God so educates, can't he find a softer way to do it? I mean, isn't this like killing a fly with a sledgehammer? God, if you want to teach me a lesson, you don't have to hammer me this hard to teach me it. And so God finally shows up at the end of the book. But it's interesting that when God shows up at the end of the book of Job, God does not show up to give answers. God shows up to ask questions. Hold your place here in Mark and go back to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38, look at verse 2. Job 38 verse 2, God says, "'Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge?' Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Job wants answers, and God says, I'm not going to give answers to you. I want you to give answers to me. One of the questions, God have ask a bunch of questions, like where were you when I did this, where were you when I did that? My favorite question that God puts to Job is, where were you when I made behemoth? Now, today we don't even know what behemoth is. Most Bible scholars believe it's a hippopotamus. Let's say, for sake of illustration, it is a hippopotamus. I'm not sure that it's a hippopotamus. But for sake of argument, let's say the behemoth is a hippopotamus. God says, where were you when I made the hippopotamus? Now, the point of all of this is, what is the purpose of a hippopotamus? You can't domesticate one. I mean, I don't know of anybody who has a pet hippopotamus. And if you brought one into your home, wouldn't it be more havoc? Then benefit? I never said that, you know, for therapy, go out and get a hippopotamus for yourself. The point I think God is making is that suffering is a hippopotamus. Why did God make the hippopotamus? I don't know, Shaggy. God made the hippopotamus for reasons that are only known to God. We have no reason to know why God made a hippopotamus. Suffering is a hippopotamus. Many times in our life we have no worthy idea why God has brought this into our life. Why is my wife sick? Why are my bills unpaid? Why are my relationships severed? I don't know. This suffering in my life is here, and it's here for only reasons that are known to God. My suffering is a hippopotamus. Many times in our life we want answers, and God isn't giving any. And by the way, I don't think there's really any answer in such situations that can completely justify God to our thinking. The closest we can get, I think, is the passage that we have just read where Jesus hangs on Calvary's cross. Any hope of understanding what it means to be abandoned by God, I think is found right here. And though this will not completely satisfy you, it doesn't completely satisfy me. I want to give you four things to chew on tonight about why God doesn't answer us. Number one, unanswered prayer is a truth. Unanswered prayer is a truth. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is portrayed as the rejected one. And in the last hours of his life, this rejection of Jesus reaches its climax. He is betrayed. He is condemned. He is disowned. He is mocked. He is tortured. And he is killed. We drive him from the world that he himself had created, and we nail him to a cross. This is the ultimate in our rejection of God. We have been rejecting Him ever since the Garden of Eden, but at Calvary, that rejection reaches its apex, ladies and gentlemen. When we get a chance, we murder our own Creator. But in the story, this rejection takes a very unexpected turn. You see, Jesus is not merely rejected by men. We might expect that. But Jesus himself is rejected by God. He cries out to God in his hour of need, and he is turned away. He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that you and I in our humanity will never know the full import of those words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. There cannot, can there be a more terrible moment in all of human history than this? Jesus is forsaken by God. In all of his other prayers, Jesus addresses God as Father, but not here. The Son is rejected by the tenants of this earth. And in the moment of that rejection, he turns to God and God alone, thinking that he will find an ear. And the question that Job phrased, the question that finds itself all throughout the Psalter, the question that we have asked for the centuries in moments like this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Falls unanswered. I mean, if anybody should not be forsaken by God... It would be Jesus, and yet there's no reply. You remember at the baptism, the heavens were open, and a voice thundered from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and You I am well pleased. But here the heavens are not opened. Here the heavens are bolted tight, nailed down. This is God. Forsakenness. The father directs his wrath against the one that he supposedly loves the most. And in every sense, ladies and gentlemen, this is a moment of outer darkness. In every other gospel, there is the cry, it is finished, and it's a cry of victory. But Mark does not say it is finished. He just says that Jesus cried. And then death and then alone, and apparently abandoned. This unanswered prayer was not an illusion. It was a reality. God stood by and did nothing. I've heard it said through the years, you've heard it said, and I'm not buying it, that there are three answers to prayer, yes, no, and wait. I don't buy it. If no is answered prayer, what's unanswered prayer? Let's say that I asked Pastor Skelly to pray with me because I wanted a motorcycle. Brother Skelly, I want a motorcycle. Will you pray with me that God will give me a Harley Davidson? And let's say that Brother Skelly bands with me in prayer, where two or three on earth agree concerning anything it will be given them. And a couple of weeks later, I go back to, Brother Skelly, and I say, Pastor Skelly, thank you so much for praying for me. God answered my prayer. Now, what's his assumption? Yeah, that I got a motorcycle. So the next time he's in Rhode Island, he says, let me see it. Let me see it. I said, let you see what? Well, the motorcycle. I was praying with you for a motorcycle. You said God answered your prayer. Oh, yeah, he did. He said no. When we say that God answered our prayer, 1 John 5 is very clear, ladies and gentlemen. We know that if he hears us, We have the petitions that we desired of Him. Answered prayer in the Bible is God always giving you in the affirmative the thing that you're asking for. Unanswered prayer is not getting what you ask for. And that's what happened here. There are such things as unanswered prayers. They are reality. They happen in your life and mine. There are times when you and I have asked God to step in, and God has not stepped in. As I was driving down I-95 today, I passed the exit for Fairfield, Connecticut. And my heart could not but think of my good pastor friend, John Lafreniere, whose wife is suffering from multiple sclerosis. And I don't know of any person, ladies and gentlemen, to be quite honest with you, who more prayers have been offered on her behalf, who more vigil has been poured out for this dear, precious saint of God. And it seems like for every prayer that is offered, her, multiple, her Lou Gehrig's disease rather, only goes less and less and less and less in its ability and looking like it's going to be healed. And we wonder, where is God where all of this is going on? We have begged Him to intervene, and yet He has refused to do so. Unanswered prayer is a truth. But not only is unanswered prayer a truth, notice secondly this thought, that unanswered prayer is transformational. It's transformational. At the very moment that this prayer languishes and there's no answer, the Bible tells us that the curtain in the temple is ripped from top to bottom. The temple, of course, was a great lesson in the inaccessibility of God. God is so holy and glorious that we had no hope of coming into His presence. You remember, there was the court of women. There was the court of Gentiles. There was the court of Jewish men. There was the court where the priests could come into. And then there was that most inner sanctum, that holiest place of all where the high priest could come, but only he could come once a year, and only then, with a hyssop that had been dipped in blood, with smoke filling the temple, and his back to the divine presence. It was a graphic picture, was it not, that our God dwells in inapproachable light, that he is a consuming fire. But as Christ makes his last cry, and as Christ asks, God, why have you forsaken me? At that very moment, that curtain that barred man from the presence of God is ripped from top to bottom. Now get this. The curtain was too thick to be ripped by human hands. It could only be ripped by a divine hand. And it was not ripped from bottom to top, man making a way to God. It was ripped from top to bottom, God making a way to man. This was an act of God. And in this act of God, the inaccessible God became accessible. At the very moment that our hatred reached its pinnacle against Jesus, God opened a way for you and me to be intimate with Him. Isn't it interesting that in the very moment that Jesus is forsaken by God, He unites us to God. What they cowed in mockery was really true in reality. He saved others. And because he saved others, he could not save himself. For if he saved himself, others could not be saved. God left that prayer unanswered. Why? Because in failing to answer the prayer of Jesus... God was working something bigger. God was working something greater. God said no to that so he can say a greater yes to this. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for our family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops and what if your healing comes through tears and what if a thousand sleepless nights is what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are really blessings in disguise? God touches a man with cancer, blows out his eye. Oh, sure, he would have been a great musician had God not blown out his eye. But you and I would never know Patch the Pirate had there been no eye cancer. The lady dives off of a diving board, paralyzed from the neck down. A seeming tragedy, of course. But had God healed her and not put her through that, you and I would not know Johnny Erickson Tata. And thousands of kids around the world would not be given wheelchairs to be helped if God had saved her from that adversity. How many of you in your life have certain prayers in hindsight that you're glad God didn't answer? Maybe you were in junior high. How how many of you are glad tonight that you're not married to somebody you used to date? (laughs) Yes, I see that hand. Is there another? (laughs) Maybe you were in junior high, and you were like that junior high boy when he was asked, have you ever had that love that comes around once in a lifetime? And he says, oh yeah, dozens of times. And um, maybe Susie broke up with you, or Fred broke up with you, and oh, you went back home, and my life will never be the same. And you cried out, ili, ili, laba I my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now you're thankful in hindsight that God said no. Because often when God says no, He's working a greater yes. The trials that we're going for through right now are much more transformed by God to work something that's much more significant. Amen. Unanswered prayer is a truth, unanswered prayer is transformational. Think with me about a third thing, that unanswered prayer is testimonial. When this prayer goes unanswered, there is a remarkable statement in this passage, and I I just, every time I read it, I get goose pimples about it. This is the only prayer where Jesus does not address God as Father. And it's interesting that in the only prayer where he doesn't address God as Father, this Soldier stands off of the side and looks at that prayer and says, truly, that's the Son of God. What? I mean, it's the only... Do you understand me? This is the only prayer where he doesn't call God Father, and in the only prayer where he doesn't call God Father, he unmistakably brands himself as God's Son. And I'm thinking, what gives with that? God's presence was most visible in that moment when God was not there. This is extraordinary. In the God-forsaken moment, the centurion sees God. God is revealed by the absence of God. Here's my point. How did you become God's child? Faith. There was a day when you just said, God, I'm in a mess of a situation, but I believe your word, and I take it in bare faith, and I'm asking you to do what you said you would do in my life, and you put your trust and your faith in him to save you, and you were justified by faith. But as many as believed him, as received him, to those he gave the right, the authority, the power to be called the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. You became the child of God by faith. Amen. That's how you became part of the family. Now get this. So what brands me as his child? What brands me as his child is faith. You know when your kids were little, you put them on the counter, jump to dad. I mean, it never dawned on the kid that in midair you would say, oh, isn't that nice over there? And pfft, you know, they would they would splatter all over the kitchen in linoleum. It never dawned on their mo- why well, They were the kid, and you were the dad. And if I'm a kid and that's my dad, I trust him. I depend upon him. You know that we don't get saved by acting like adults. Children don't get saved by by kids acting like adults, adults get saved by acting like children. By accepting in, in innocent faith the word of someone. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say to you very candidly this evening, when you cling to God, when no one else would blame you for walking away, that's when you prove you're God's kid. a world that's watching. That's when you say, when you cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But yet in that same hour, commit your soul to him as unto a faithful creator. say, I don't understand why you're turning your back. I don't understand why you're not answering me here. But yet, and the words of Job, yet though you slay me, yet will I trust you. You're proving you're God's kid. Unanswered prayer is that time when we get to show that we really believe God, even when he's inscrutable. When the cancer is not healed, when the debt is not eradicated, when the relationship is not reconciled, when I say, yet though he slay me, yet will I trust him? That's when people stand off to the side and go, dude, that's a child of God. Anybody can trust God when the bills are paid. Anybody can trust God when the hot hot water tank works. Anybody can trust God when there's not a hole in the muffler. Anybody can trust God when the Christian school payment's paid. Anybody can trust God when everything's working out okay, when I found the happy side of life. But in those moments where I'm not getting it, where I've served him for all of these years, where my testimony is impeccable, and I'm calling out to him, and he's not answering me, but I say, even though I don't get what's going on here, I'm hanging on to him because where else in the world would I go? That's when people know you're God's kid. And people who are pagan wipe the tobacco juice off their chin and go, yep, that's a son of God. Unanswered prayer is a truth. Unanswered prayer is transformational. Unanswered prayer is testimonial. And I hasten to this last point because it's my favorite. Unanswered prayer is temporary. Amen. The absence of God is not the last word. The silence will be broken More of our prayers are answered than we think. Jesus died thinking, by God, by God, why have you forsaken me? But chapter 16, verse 19 says, listen here, my son. Come on up here. Let me receive you into heaven. And he sat right there on the right hand of God. He became God's right hand man. So much for abandonment. He thought he had been rejected. It appeared that he had been rejected. But whatever rejection you and I are going through at this moment, if we are indeed God's children, that is not the final word on the matter. One day we will be received up into glory and we'll be right next to him around the throne of God. (laughs) I've never quite understood the song, Just Build Me a Cabin in the Corner of Glory Land. I like much better, Just Build My Mansion next door to Jesus. You understand, ladies and gentlemen, that whatever rejection we feel of God, no matter what ostracism we feel at this moment, we know that our light affliction is working for us an eternal and exceeding weight of glory. Apostle Paul put it so candidly in 1 Corinthians when he was talking about the resurrection. He said, if only in this life we have hope, we would be of all men most miserable. (laughs) Don't you love it when a JW comes to your door and hands you the little pamphlet, you can have paradise on earth? Hey, listen, dude. I've got a better deal. Absent from the body present with the Lord. So if you ain't got nothing better than that, hit the next door. And take your little, you can have paradise on earth with you. I don't want paradise on earth. I want to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Take your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 5. This is interesting to me. Revelation chapter 5, look at verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials, golden bowls, full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, notice this. Here are all these prayers of saints that have gone up through the years, and they're in bowls in heaven, prayer bowls. Well, what's the deal with that? Look over to chapter 8, verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. See, many of the prayers that you and I have prayed haven't made it all the way yet. They're not... We're not at answer day yet. The prayers have risen as odors say, they're stored in bowls, and one day these bowls will actually be presented before the throne, and when that happens, then vindication. Okay, let's think about it. You pray for peace in your family. Well, one day the family's going to be at peace. You pray for economic help well, one day you're going to live in a mansion. You pray for healing. Well, aren't you going to be healed someday? I mean, even if you die here with miserable discomfort, won't you be well as soon as you breathe that last breath? One songwriter said, I'm trying hard not to think you Kind, but Heavenly Father, if you know my heart, surely you can read my mind. Good people underneath the sea of grief, some get up and walk away. Some will find ultimate relief. Home free eventually. At the ultimate healing, we will be home free. Home free, it's more than a feeling. At the ultimate healing, we will be home free. You see, we always live in the tension of now but not yet. And a lot of the prayers that we've prayed, it's not that they're permanently unanswered. It's just the not yet. But ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be a day when there aren't going to be any loose ends in God's universe. God's going to tie it all together at the end. It's all going to be wrapped up okay. And when you breathe your last breath and you enter into the next world, you're going to be glad that you didn't give up on God even though apparently you thought God had given up on you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of servant made his main likeness man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Rejected by God. My hind leg. No way. That was his beloved son, in whom he's well pleased. And though to those who watched with the naked eye and judged things by temporal sight, they would have thought, where's his God now? One day we'll know where that God was. As every knee bows and confesses, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, God says, arm yourself with that same mind. What you see in the cross here, you're a follower of Christ. Okay, now emulate that. Oh, it's true that God seems to not hear us at times. That's a truth. Some of the prayers we pray apparently go unanswered. That's true. But many times they go unanswered because God's working a greater yes. And when we hang on to God, even when He's telling us no, That's when the world looks on and says, now that's a true Christian. And there will be the day of the ultimate nanny nanny boo-boo. Told you so. I told you he was a good God, didn't I? I told you he wouldn't let me down. I told you that he would be there. And the God who apparently turned his back on us will say, come up into glory. Sit by me a while. Let me show the world what I think of you. And there is a day of vindication. Don't quit in the seventh inning. I conclude with this. I grew up 70 miles south of Cleveland, Ohio. My sports allegiances are all to Cleveland which means basically that I have lived a miserable existence. (laughs) Back in 1997, when I pastored in Philadelphia, I watched in my living room as Jose Mesa gave up that save in the bottom of the seventh inning, and I sat on my couch and bawled like a baby. Because, and I know that I'm on very dangerous turf here, but because I am a Cleveland Indians fan, it is written that you can't like the New York Yankees. Okay. Now, I know I'm on very dangerous turf here, but stay with me. This will serve the illustration. And so, we would always get in the car and go up to Cleveland two or three times a summer to watch the Indians play. And, I mean, that was back in the 70s when they were called the mistake by the lake. Where in the old municipal stadium that seated 75,000 people, you could sling a dead cat in any direction and not hit anybody. And maybe 2,000 people would be in that 75,000 seat. You could walk up on any given day and get field boxes right behind the dugout. They were terrible. But they were our terrible and we loved them. <laughs> so we'd go up and watch. One day we were watching the Yankees and they were killing the Indians as they always did. Dad looked at us and he said, "Come on, let's go. We'll beat the crowd." And I'm like, "What crowd? There's no crowd. What crowd are you talking about?" <laughs> so we got to the car, we got in, we got drove up Ninth, we got on Seventy One, and we're driving home. And Dad kicks on Joe Tate and Herb Score, and we listen. And when we turn on the radio, the Indians have loaded the bases, and we listen as George Hendricks hit a home run over the center field fence, a grand slam, and the Indians won that night. And we saw none of it because we left in the seventh inning. Don't quit in the middle of the game. The last chapter hasn't been written, and you've got the book that tells you how the last chapter ends. You're not even in dark about this. It's like you've read the end of the story. We win! We win! We win! (laughs) We know that already. So every Christian's life is a U-shaped plot, and you may be down here in the bottom of it right now. And as the first sermon so eloquently talked about, so many people sidetrack their whole life through bitterness, not waiting for the better blessing that's coming. Don't do that to yourself. For in those moments of your darkest existence where it seems like God has just turned away, God says, it's not the end of the matter, my kid. Stay with me. Stay with me now. It's going to work out okay. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.